Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, this is Allison Kay, and welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. We are going to head to Brussels today to talk to a wonderful social entrepreneur who is changing the voice of democracy and the democratic process through technology. And I just love this story, and I know you will as well. She has been recognized as a Forbes 30 under 30, and currently the product is being used by over 150 governments worldwide, and she's going to just tell us all about it. So I would like to welcome to the program Eileen. Hello, good morning. Good morning. So tell our listeners who you are, what your company is, and what you do. So my name is Aline Meulaert, and I'm the co-founder and head of government relations at Citizen Lab. And Citizen Lamp is a citizen engagement platform that connects governments and citizens because we want to give a voice to citizens in a digital world. Traditionally, people were going to town hall meetings or writing letters to their governments to make their voice heard. And we're giving governments tools to actually engage citizens in policy making. Um, and that's what we've been doing over the past five years uh, with more than 150 governments in more than 50 countries. And I always tell our listeners um, when we're talking to our guests, because you'll paint a lot of pictures as we talk about what your company does. And I always say, you know, take a look at the website, which is citizenlab.co, so that as we talk about these things, you can have a general understanding of how she built the company and and what it is. And I want to go back to your founder story, um, because I think it is a little bit unique. I know that you were student entrepreneurs. And so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So as you said, I I live in Brussels and I also lived in Brussels back then. I was a student at the university and my co-founder and I, um, we already had a like a previous startup together, but it was really, really small. Um, But then one day I was walking near my place and I really saw like the square where I'd been living. I I get so I got so fed up with how unsafe and ugly it was that I had some ideas on on how to change it and I wanted to reach out to the the local city council and I actually saw like okay this is really really burdensome uh, you have to send a letter or go to a meeting I don't have time for that uh, I'm young I can use technology so that's how we came up with the idea of using software for uh, enabling citizen engagement. And then we started talking to local governments uh, and we actually saw that there was a real need. They wanted to reach younger people, other people. Um, so that's how we came up with with the idea. Um, and we built it in our last years of uh, of university um, and we managed in that year to go from prototype to first customers. And did you um, participate in incubators or accelerators or how did you get that initial um, mentorship and funding? 
Yeah. So we first built the prototype and we built that over summer. So we had it ready in two months and then we actually got accepted to, um, yeah, startup incubator specifically for student entrepreneurs in Belgium. Um, and we already knew a bit our way because we had that previous project. Um, and they gave us 25,000 euros, uh, which is not too much. Uh, let's say it's about 30, $30,000. Um, but it was enough for to cover most of our costs in that first year. Mm -hmm. So we, we could make costs and uh, we actually attracted our customers with that first funds. Um, and that really enabled our, our first growth. Um, and then later after that first year, um, that was a moment we, we launched our, our first funding rounds. Fantastic. Did you find as, as students, that you had to spend more time kind of working on the pitch and the proposal and getting that coaching? Or was that something that was just organic for you? I think it was kind of organic because we got the right mentoring and the right workshops. And um, I really enjoyed being a student entrepreneur because in my last year of master's, I had to work on my thesis, but next to that, I didn't have many courses. So you have a lot of free time and you don't need to worry yet about making money. That was one of the privileges I had. Um, and I mean, you had a lot of, of free time at hand, no one to support um, if you would have any family already. So I really, me and my co-founder, we found it the perfect timing to test things in that first year. And then after we graduated, we kind of had to decide like, is this a side project or do we go full in? Mm -hmm. um, and we decided we go full in. So we need to find funding and money to, to grow the business. Um, so I actually really enjoyed working on this as a student entrepreneur because it allowed us to to test without having a lot of time pressure and did you do all your own um own programming and coding or did you have to outsource some of that no we did it ourselves and so that first project we did that other project was actually more focused on like the food business uh -huh. um, and the the good thing about software of course is that you can learn yourself these basic skills and my co-founder learned himself some coding skills and so we managed to build that first prototype and then after a year we got a technical co-founder on board that we met through that um, startup incubator um, so it also really helped us to get a third technical co-founder on board that could then rebuild the prototype. Okay, so let's talk about, because this is what I think is fascinating, is, you know, you started this quite a while ago, and you've been building and building and building, and then here we are in a day and age that desperately needs your platform, and, and this was something I was given before um, we started this interview, and it talks about um, Citizen Lab is an efficient and transparent way to be heard, which has led the company to be recognized more widely as the antidote to the age of angst following the pandemic, Brexit, and the fragility in the United States following our, our elections. How does a statement like that make you feel as a company founder for you know, this baby that you've developed all the way along? 
Yeah, it, it makes me very, very humble, but also very happy because I feel that we identified a topic that five years ago was already important, but now it's kind of, I mean, it, it's, it's even more important these days because on one hand you have digitization because of COVID, everyone is working from home. We need mm -hmm. to use these digital tools. But then on the other hand, so many of our liberal democracies um, are in a state of of risk and and we're, we're currently thinking of how do we need to redesign our democratic systems and we try to build these tools at at small scale of course we work with local governments but that's what we really try to do eventually is we try to rebuild the trust that citizens have in governments and we try to make sure that they feel heard um, when they share their input um, so yeah it, it feels so so rewarding to work on that topic in in these days? Well, and I think about, you know, the whole foundation of democratic principles is achieving full participation or as full of participation as possible. And I think of somebody like myself, who's, um, you know, a, a, a informed, um, intellectual, responsible citizen, but yet I, you know, single parent work a lot And it, it makes it very difficult to get to these public forums. And, you know, and even elderly people or anybody that has a disability. And so there's so many things that I, I love about it. Um, so tell us just a little bit more about how you have gone to market, how you've attracted those customers, how you continue to attract new customers to get this fantastic product out into the marketplace. What tools are you employing? So we work for governments, mainly local governments. Um, so the public sector can be quite challenging to enter. And I think mm -hmm. what's really important is that you build good first pilot projects, success stories. So one of the very first projects we did was the regeneration of a park. It's very tangible people. It's a nice topic. People could say like, this is what I want in the park, more sports facilities, things for dogs, etc. So that made it very tangible. Um, and then of course, parks is something that every city has. So we could bring that success story to other governments yeah. and then they started applying the same same principles um, so i think that's really important um, building that those first success stories and then governments look very much to one another and then you can easily enter or or uh, sell to to other other countries and and other governments And then another thing is, I mean, what is what has really helped us is focusing on a niche. So we have developed a product that is made for local governments, so local governments mainly, um, and that helped us scale internationally because how governments operate in Belgium, in the Netherlands, in South America, in the UK, in North America, it's not that different. So we were we managed to very rapidly um, scale because of that focus that we had and that niche that we focused on um, because that's what we build our product for. Um, and so today we're active in, in 15 countries. We work with mainly local governments of many different sizes, but keeping that focus, although it can, it's often very tempting to deviate um, is really important. No, I think that's a great story about the um, the pilot success stories and and what you went about uh, when you first built that to make it relatable. On your um, 
on your uh, website, you give an example of dashboards for the demographics on the people. Can you tell us a yeah. little bit about um, how you're aggregating data and about yeah. you know, what those dashboards can tell somebody? Yeah, that's a great question. So on the front office, when a citizen goes to the platform, they can see how they can participate. Parks, mobility, participatory budgeting, it's also a very big topic in the States. And so we're collecting a lot of input, written inputs mainly. Um, so a lot of ideas, comments from citizens. And then in the back office, we help governments to manage that data because they're collecting a lot of data and the feedback loop, closing that feedback loop is really important. Mm -hmm. But of course, to close that feedback loop, you need to have insights. Uh, so we're giving them insights into demographics, which neighborhoods, which age groups, but we also help them to um, cluster input uh, because many people can give the same idea or talk about the same topic. So we use artificial intelligence to cluster input and give insights to governments in order that then they can take data-driven um, decisions. And that's something that is, there's a real, real opportunity for innovation in that space because governments are still very traditional in how they take decisions. They're not at all data-driven or they're starting to be. So the real added value is also in the back office and the management of all that citizen inputs. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to flip and ask you, um, where are you getting um, innovation yourself and leadership ideas and mentoring? Is there anything that you're doing um, to keep your motivation high and, and to bring innovation to your own company? I think I'm very much motivated by peers. So because we've been part of these incubators, I've met a lot of other social entrepreneurs. And of course, I've been mentored by people with a lot of experience, but sometimes peers go through the same things at the same time. And then mm -hmm. you can just share your challenges and someone says what they're doing. So that's something I, I find or oh, that keeps me motivating. Um, and then the grow, the team has been growing a lot. So today we're 35 people. We almost doubled last year and hiring people that are smarter than you or that have more exper experience in stuff um, is just also so motivating. I mean, you can learn so much from, from your own team. I mean, we are, I'm a founder, I take decisions, um, but then just getting ideas and learning from new colleagues is also very, something that motivates me a lot. And in your team of 35, let's talk about um, culture for a second. Are, are your, is your team spread out across multiple countries or is your team pretty centralized in Brussels? The biggest part of the team is still in, in, in Belgium, but we have, I think now 30% that's abroad um, and that's in uh, France. So in Paris, in Amsterdam, in London, we have people in New York now. So that's very exciting. We're building a team in the, in the States. Um, and then we also work with international resellers. So we have people in Scandinavia, in South America. So it's really an international team. And I think that's also really important because we work on this topic which is democratic government so we need we need to make sure that our product is built in a very inclusive way and that we mm -hmm. don't have any biases built into into the software um, and also COVID really enabled us to to build that even more international 
team culture because everyone is working from home. Everyone, we can't go to the office. So that really made that international colleagues feel even more part of the, of the team than before COVID. This point that you made about making sure that there's no bias in the software, I think that's so important. And I think that's something that a lot of um, companies struggle with. And I have worked in the international um, landscape for about 20 years now. And there are times where my team will give me something and I'll be like, whoa, no, 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 that that's too like US centric. That doesn't speak to the masses, even just the way the page is laid out, even the way of, of the, the menus and the buttons and the navigation. So I appreciate your comment about making sure there's no bias in the software and having that wider perspective. Yeah, and I think you have it on, on cultural differences, countries, but of course you also have it, I mean, background, gender, age, however. So it's, so it's super important, but also a real challenge to build a very diverse team. Um, and we also, so I think building the team and, and making sure that they're, we're aware of our biases because we all have biases is, is one thing, but then we also are trying to be as transparent as we can be on how our software is built, how the algorithms work in order that we, I mean, there can also be some, some accountability to the, to the outside world because eventually governments are customers and they need to make sure that the software they're procuring is, is properly built. Now, I know you're incredibly proud to be um, amongst uh, the social entrepreneurs that are building the new technology and, and building the way society mm. uh, can self-reflect and even um, achieve what it needs to achieve. Is, is there anything there that you would say about um, the, the movement? Because we still have so many people that start companies for, I want to say, more capitalistic endeavors versus uh, social entrepreneurs and what do you think is the or what would you explain to people as the difference between the the types of organizations that people are founding today I think it all goes back to of course first your mission so our mission is social we want to change um, local democracy give give more citizens a voice so that's already a very social mission but I think in the day-to-day -day work it's important to say that we have two types of goals or objectives mm -hmm. When we look, for example, now, beginning of 2021, we have, okay, how much revenue do we want to make? Uh, so, we, so we have these very, let's say, financial goals, but then we also have impact goals. Um, how many citizens are we reaching? Uh, what is the impact we're having with our platform? And you then translate these objectives to your day-to-day -day work. So you're not only motivated by selling more, but you also want to make sure that you actually with your platforms are reaching citizens so i guess for us setting these impact objectives mm -hmm. is really important and also our investors uh we have one impact vc on on board so it's a it's a venture capitalist but they call themselves an impact vc so when we have a board of directors we also report on those impact metrics so um it's it's as important as the as the financial growth I appreciate you saying that, and um, because I, I think that there are a lot of companies and people who are starting companies who absolutely would 
categorize themselves as, as social entrepreneurs. And I've had the opportunity to interview quite a few. And, um, and I think even just as simple as you described it, that helps put, you know, nice framing around it. And also to encourage anybody that is running a company that doesn't see how it can have social impact goals to just take pause and think about how to work them into their business plans, mm. because I think we can all do it. Yeah. So I want to, um, our time is almost up. I want to ask you if we came back and talked to you, um, in two or three years or even five years, what would be the wish for citizen lab? What do you hope the story would be when we come back and talk to you in a couple of years? I think what is really important and then we come back to the the impact is that we we have managed by then to reach millions of citizens on our platform that we've had um, big I mean cases with a lot of, of impacts I think especially now in the states we're thinking of participatory budgeting on whole city budgets um, being more community driven budgeting. Um, so I think having millions of people on those platforms uh, with big impact cases is, is one thing. Um, and the other thing would be that if we look at digital democracy as a whole, or even golf tech is that we try to make sure that we build digital tools in the way we're doing democracy, because today it's still like something that many governments are piloting with or innovating with, but it's still not really built into the processes. It's getting there. But if we are in five years from now, it should be both, physical meetings and digital, and there should be rules and it should all be the same for um, digital tools. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story with us and we wish you great success. Um, so if you listened to this story and there was something about Eileen or Citizen Lab that really resonated with you, please reach out to her and let her know. And so on that point, how can people reach you? So they can reach me via my socials. So I'm on, on Twitter. Um, that's Aline Merlart. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll, share, I'll share my Twitter handle. Um, and then they can also shoot me an email at aline at citizenlab.co if they have any questions or remarks. Thank you so, so much. So for our audience, thank you for listening. If there is an innovative, disruptive CEO that you think I need to speak with, send me an email at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future. Eileen, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Allison. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.